take your copy of God's Word this morning, please, and go to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. I've got to be honest with you today. Some of you are going to need this message right now. You're going to need this message today. Others, you don't need it today. But you need to take it in, take it down, and stow it away for a coming day. Like that $20 bill that you keep folded up and tucked away in your purse or your wallet for an emergency, uh, you need to take this message down and keep it handy for when you need it. I want to talk to you today for a little bit about this theme, where to find strength and encouragement. Where to find strength and encouragement. Um, From time to time, all of us need some strength. All of us need some encouragement. Maybe that's you today, or maybe that'll be you sometime this week. But at some point, we all need some strength, and we need some encouragement. You may already be thinking about some of the places where you personally find strength and encouragement, but I want to today give you the best place to find strength and encouragement. Can I go even further and say, I want to give you an an unfailing source of strength and encouragement. Now, you're in 1 Samuel by now, and we're going to begin in the 27th chapter, and we're going to spend some time with David today. Uh, One of the great characters of the Bible, David, a man after God's own heart, not a perfect man, had a lot of flaws, a lot of failings, a lot of fumbles, but he was a man after God's own heart. And I want to pick up the story at this point in his life in chapter 27, then we'll skip over chapter 28, go to chapter 29, and then land in chapter 30, where our text for the day is. So if you've got your copy of God's Word, you'll follow along as I begin reading, beginning in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 27. I want you to notice, as I walk you through this, where David is emotionally, where he is mentally, where he is in his life at this moment. Look at verse 1 of 1 Samuel 27. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish some day. By the hand of Saul, there's nothing better for me than I, that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. So you see, he's not at a high point here. He's at a low point. He's come to the conclusion, you know, Saul's hunting him down. Saul is going to kill me. Saul's going to get me. So the best thing for me to do is go and join with the Philistines. Pick up the reading at verse number 2. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt in Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath. So he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. So notice he was given Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. Now we fast forward, go to chapter 29, pick up the story there, 29, verse 1. Chapter 29, verse 1. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, 
And the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. A glowing report. David's been a good guy here. He's going to go out with him and fight, or so he thinks. Verse 4. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him, and do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary or our adversary. For if what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Verse 6, Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you've been upright, and you're going out, and you're coming in with me, and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have found no, uh, not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. We'll stop there for just a second. Notice that David and his men are facing rejection here. You're not going with us. You've proven yourself trustworthy. You've proven yourself faithful. Uh, you're here to go, but you're not going. He's rejected. He's sent back. So how does David respond? Look at verse number 8. So David said to Achish, But what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I've been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and at light, depart. So verse 11 says, So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So we're still watching the progression here in David's life. He's not in a good place. In the first passage we read, he's, 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 he's just sure that Saul's going to get him. Then he serves faithfully, he's rejected, he's sent home. And then we come to chapter 30. And we find that things are not going to get better. They're going to get a whole lot worse. Look at verse or 1 of chapter 30. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So they kidnapped the women and the children at Ziklag. Verse 3. So David and his men came to the city. Now I want you to put yourself in their sandals. They came to the city. They looked up at the city expecting to see their home. They came to the city. And there it was, verse 3 says, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and his people who were with him 
lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Can you get this scene in your mind? Just how horrible this is. You've come home to your city. It's burned with fire and your families are kidnapped. And they wept until they could weep no more. Verse 5, And David's two wives, Hanuam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Canaanite, had been taken captive. So David is not immune to this as the leader of these men, the leader of this place. He's been personally touched in his own family. He's suffered great loss. But to add insult to injury, we come to verse number 6. It says in verse number 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. They wanted to throw stones at him until he died. That's what they're saying here. Verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David, watch this, but David strengthened himself and the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now, our focus today is obviously that sixth verse of 1 Samuel chapter 30, where it says, Now, David was greatly distressed. I mean, imagine all that he's facing personally. And then the people's grief turns to anger toward him. They speak of taking him and stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But it says in the last part of there, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. If you're reading the King James, it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. It has an idea of bringing about strength and and encouragement and, and, and to have that in your life. We're talking about where to find that, where to find strength, where to find encouragement. When things are not going well, when things are really bad, where do you find strength and encouragement to keep going? You know, sometimes the messages all around us and all the incoming messages that we receive, they're discouraging news. It seems there's no encouraging news, no uplifting news, no good news. What do you do in those times? Well, when when nobody else is talking to you, In in regards to strength and encouragement and hope, you have to talk to yourself. Spurgeon said this, some of the best talks in the world are those which a man has with himself. And sometimes you've got to talk to yourself. Sometimes I have to preach to myself. Sometimes I have to say to myself, truth. You know, David had to speak to himself here, kind of like the sons of Korah did in in Psalm 42.5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior. Sometimes we have to speak truth to ourselves. We've got to remind ourselves of the truth. Everything looks bad here in David's life. I mean, things have gotten so bad in his life, he thought the best thing I can do is go hang out with the Philistines and then go to battle with the Philistines, then get rejected by the Philistines and come back and everything he holds dear, it seems, is gone. And to make matters worse, these 
mighty men with them. Their anger turns to him and they want to kill him. And that moment, there was no encouraging news coming toward David from anybody around him. So he had to strengthen, encourage himself in the Lord. So I thought about that this past week as I was thinking about this morning. The Lord laid upon my heart three truths that we need to remind ourselves of when we need strength and encouragement. And all of these truths are going to center upon God. Because it says here in the passage that, that David didn't encourage himself in himself. Don't look at yourself. If I want to get discouraged, I just go look at myself for a little while and it can be very discouraging. And, and I can look around and it can become very discouraging. But it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. And so all three of these reminders are centered upon God, upon the Lord. And so the first one that we need to remind ourselves in those days of discouragement, in those days of difficulty, we need to remind ourselves of who our God is. Remind yourself of who your God is. Notice it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Notice the personalization there. At this point, it's not so much the God of Israel, although he is the God of Israel. It says that David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Now, can I just remind you today, beloved, that David's God is your God and my God. He's the same. He's the same. We serve the Lord God. We serve the creator and the sustainer of life. And we have to take our eyes off our problems and our troubles and our heartaches and our sorrows and look up and look above them at our God. To spend some time focusing upon who God is. How helpful to remember that when everything seems to be falling apart in our lives, and we have those days, everything seems to be falling apart, we belong to the one who holds everything together. He's our Father. He's our God. David wrote these words in Psalm 27, verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Now imagine what David is facing. I mean, just bad news upon bad news. And here he is with all these angry people and his heart is broken and his heart is breaking for them and they want to get him and kill him. And it says he encouraged himself. He found strength. He had to remind himself of the promises of God, of who God was, of who God is, and what God had done in his life. And in those days where you find yourself facing such discouragement, remind yourself of who your God is. And also remind yourself of this. Remind yourself that God is in complete control. God is in not just control. God is in complete and total, absolute control. Do you think that maybe David had forgotten that in his life? Do you think maybe we forget that? I mean, we, 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 we admit that that's true and we would say amen to that, but do we actually act like that is true? That it really is true? Not just something we say, oh, God is in control. Amen. No. Do we act that way? Do we live that way? David was thinking what? Saul's going to get me one day. Saul, Saul's going to kill me. Best thing I can do is to hang up the Philistines. 
Maybe David had forgotten that God was in complete control. Jot this reference down, Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in heaven. I want you to hear what it says. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Whatever He pleases. God does whatever He pleases. Daniel 4.35 says this, All the people of the earth are nothing compared to Him. Talking about God. He does as He pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop or say to Him, What do you mean by doing these things? God does whatever He wants to do at all times and all circumstances. And there's no way to say, God, what are you doing? Or try to stop God. God does whatever He pleases. Why? Because He's God. And He's in complete and absolute total control. Listen, child of God, when it seems that your life is out of control, remember it is never out of His control. It seems like everything's blowing apart. He holds you in His hand. He holds the world in His hand. We don't have to fear Though a host come against us, we trust in the name of the Lord our God, who's in complete and total control. Listen, Saul was never going to take David's life. God was going to make sure of that. Saul was never going to take David's life. And perhaps here David remembers eventually that God is in control because it says after verse 6 where it says he strengthened or encouraged himself in the Lord, In verse number 8, we see he's seeking direction from the Lord. You're back in 1 Samuel 30, verse 8. David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? The Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You'll surely recover everything that was taken from you. We find that David stops looking around and looking at himself. He starts looking to God. He strengthens himself. And then he goes and he asks direction from God. God, should I go and pursue these people and bring back the... Our people. And God says, yes, go. You know, he kind of said it this way. God, you're in complete control. What should I do? That's a great prayer, by the way. God, you're in complete control. What should I do? That recognizes divine sovereignty. That is, God, you're in complete control. But it also recognizes human responsibility. What should I do? What should I do? Maybe you need to pray that prayer today. There's some circumstances, some things in your life. Maybe you need to go to the Lord and say, God, you're in complete control. What should I do? I want to do your will. Remind yourself of who your God is. Remind yourself that your God is in complete control. And there's a third one. Don't forget this one. Remind yourself that God always has your best interest in mind. God always has your best interest in mind. Now, it may not seem like it. (laughs) In all honesty, we all have had times in our lives where we may be in question, God, where are you? God, have you forsaken me? God, are you listening to me? God, are you still there? But remember... Child of God, God always has your best interest in mind. He always has His glory and your good in mind. Everything that we face in life as believers has a purpose. The Bible says that God uses all things, Romans 8, 28, for our good and for His glory. And so, do you think maybe David had forgot that? 
You know, God is working in our lives to refine us and mature us and to test us and to make us more like Jesus. And God is working in David's life. He always had David's best interest in mind. It didn't seem like it when he's running trying to escape getting killed by Saul. But maybe David forgot. And I want to be fair about this, by the way. I don't want to throw David under the bus today. David's a human, and David's living this out in real time. You and I have the advantage we could read his whole story. We know how it turns out. We know what happens to Saul. We know where David ends up. We know the story. We can sit down in one reading and look at David's life from a shepherd boy to the king and all in between and see what God did. But David's living it out one moment at a time. Just like you and I are living it out one moment at a time. But remember, I said that God always has your best interest in mind. And when it comes to David, think about it. Remember what David or where David is heading. David is heading to the palace. He's the next king. He's going to be the next king. And it didn't seem like it, though. Not when you're running for your life from Saul. Not when you're hanging out with the Philistines. Not when things go bad and even your own men want to kill you. But God had David's best interest in mind. I couldn't help but think about that in regard to us as believers. At times it seems that we get the raw end of the deal. We too as believers we face rejection. We are misunderstood. At times believers are mistreated. Why? Because they love Jesus. Because they want to follow Jesus. Because they want to honor Jesus. And you, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, the Bible says you shall suffer persecution. We shall. There's different modes and different levels of persecution. But it seems like we get the raw end of the deal. It seems like that we don't really, you know, this isn't really the way it should be. We never forget we're headed somewhere. We're headed somewhere. We're headed for the Father's house. We're headed to heaven. The Bible says we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so the real difficulty at time as we're journeying through life is not to get so focused on the bumps along the road on the journey to where we forget where we are going. David was headed to the palace. It didn't seem like a very enjoyable journey, and it wasn't at times, but there was a destination in mind. We're headed someplace as well. I wonder how many of you, you love the beach. Can I see your hand? You love going to the beach. I know we got mountain people, and we've got, we got a lot of beach people in here. There's something about the beach. There's something about the ocean. There's something about the crashing of the waves. waves. Let's say, I know it's not a, the prettiest day, but let's say we were to load up the church van afterwards and say, hey, we're going to the beach. Bring your stuff. We're going to the beach. We're going to go today. We're going to spend a week at the beach. And you get on the van with us and we set out to go to the beach. And we're excited about going to the beach. I mean, we're off work. We're off school. Responsibilities being left behind. We're going to go, you know, play in the water. We're going to go sit in the sand. And so we're on the van. We're going to the beach. We don't get too far to the beach. Maybe we get down into South Carolina. And we're there and all of a sudden... As we're traveling along, a rock hits the windshield. Puts a big old crack in the windshield. 
We're all startled by that. We're a little shook up. We're a little discouraged about, man, you know, the church man's still pretty new, but, you know, at least nobody got hurt and we can keep going. We don't have to stop. We got a crack in the windshield, but it's all right. We'll get it fixed when we come back home. We keep going to the beach. Well, being good Baptists, we've got to stop and eat somewhere. We pick out a good restaurant. We go in and we eat. We come out. And we're loading up. And somebody says, hey, look at that tire. I realize we've picked up a nail along the way. Now we've got a cracked windshield and a flat tire. It's going to delay us a little bit in our journey. It's going to be a bit of an inconvenience. It might cost a little something to fix. But anyway, we're not giving up on our trip to the beach. We go about, we find somebody that can help us get the tire fixed. We fix the tire and we're on our way again. Now we've got a patched tire, a cracked windshield, but we're still going to the beach. We get on down a little bit further down the road and it's getting a little warm in the van as it does sometimes. And not to be too crude, but you know sometimes you travel along in a van, there can be, you know, hot and stuffy and smelly and not comfortable. And we have to have somebody on the van that actually gets car sick. We didn't know that. And so we got to pull over. And I'll just be blunt. we got to pull over so they can get out and puke. We stop. We wait. We're all trying to cover our ears, not listen. They do what they need to do, get back in the van, and we're going our way. And you're real nervous because you're sitting in front of the puker. Um, <laughs> on the way to the beach, but we're still going to the beach. <laughs> Finally, we pull up to the beach. We're not going to waste time. We're not going to check in the hotel. We go to the public access point. We park the van, and we go out there. We take off our shoes. We put our toes in the sand. We walk down, and we stand there looking at the ocean, and we feel the breeze blowing. We hear and see the waves crashing in front of us. As far as we can see, just beauty and just gorgeous God's creation. In that moment, we're just all taken in by the ocean. And you know what? As we stand there, we've forgotten about the windshield. We've forgotten about the tire. We've forgotten about the puker. We've forgotten about all the bumps along the journey. Because right now, we are where we were headed. And we're taking it all in. Now let me ask you, was it worth it? Was it worth the journey? Was it worth the cracked windshield? Was it worth the flat tire? Was it worth the car sickness? Was it worth it? And you say, absolutely it was worth it. I mean, look where we are. Look where we are. But Frank, can I just tell you and remind you, that as believers we're headed somewhere. And as beautiful as the ocean is, where we're headed can't even hold a candle. The ocean can't hold a candle to where we're going. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, that is what the Scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen nor ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. We're going somewhere. Going to heaven. Going to the Father's house. We're on a journey. But the problem is right now, we're still in the van with the puker. We're still bouncing along. But never forget, 
We're headed someplace. I love this passage. I want to close with it. It'd be worth you jotting the reference down. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. You say, well, Rodney, you know, we have greater problems than cracked windshields and greater problems than flat tires, and I understand that. And there's cancer and there's sickness and there's serious things. But I want you to see what the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians, or 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 18. Look what it says. For our present troubles are small. Because we're looking at them in relationship to eternity. Our present troubles are small. And then notice what it says. And they won't last very long. In light of eternity, they're small and they don't last for very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Now notice the next part. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Where do you find strength? Where do you find encouragement? Find it in the Lord your God. Find it in the Lord. Remember, though the journey's rough, where we're going will be well worth it. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for taking us on this journey. Thank you for receiving us into your family. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. Some of them are facing great challenges and great struggles. Would you just encourage their heart with the reality that these things won't last very long and they'll seem small in light of glory in heaven with you. And even while we're going through them, you're using these things to mold us and shape us and mature us and make us more like Christ. We love you today. And we praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friend, are you on the journey with us? Are you headed to heaven? If not, today's the day to give your life to Christ. And if you are, maybe you just come today and just pray a little bit. We would invite you to come. Our closing hymn, number 96, Great is thy faithfulness, the altar is open. You come as God leads, 96, great is thy faithfulness. Let's stand together and sing. Thank you.